Welcome to the NPM Podcast. This is John Burke, Managing Editor of New Project Media. Joining me this week is Vitaly Lee, Chief Development Officer of Q-Cells USA Corporation. Q-Cells has over 10 gigawatts of solar and energy storage projects in development around the country. Uh, welcome to the program, sir. Um, to kick us off, uh, why don't you explain uh, Q-Cells USA's business model? Thank you, John. Um, welcome, everyone. Um, pleasure to be here. Um, if you don't mind, yeah, I, maybe I'll say a few words um, about Q-Cells. Um, we are uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of Hanwha Solutions, a publicly traded company and uh, part of the seventh largest conglomerate in South Korea. Uh, the company is committed to building a complete and sustainable solar supply chain in the United States, among other things. Uh, we currently operate the largest solar module factory of its kind in the United States, uh, based in Dalton, Georgia. Earlier this year, we announced a $2.5 billion uh, investment in the U.S., and we expect that the production will ramp up from the current 5.1 gigawatts to 8.4 gigawatts total next year. Some of it will be qualified for domestic content adder as of the end of next year. That's our forecast. In my capacity as uh, EVP and uh, Chief Development Officer, I get to lead the utility scale development of PV and energy storage here in the U.S. Um, I'll be celebrating three years uh, in a couple of months with Q-Cells, and a lot of things have changed and happened, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about those today. Um, I think for your listeners, this may come as a surprise because obviously Q-Cells has done a really great job with uh, modules uh, over the last uh, few years. Uh, but we are more than uh, modules. We are really a complete turnkey solutions provider with what I would qualify as four major buckets of offerings, modules, EPC, development, O&M, and EMS for battery storage. And so on the development side, as you said, we, we do have over 10 gigawatts of utility scale solar and storage projects. Uh, we have um, 50 plus full-time employees on our development uh, team, so a fully-fledged development shop. Um, and our business model is, uh, we call it um, IPP Lite. We tend to exit our projects through sale at NTP with the EPC agreement attached to it or sale at COD. And our sweet spot size-wise is 150 to 200 megawatts. And we usually pair it with the size storage. Uh, one last thing um, on the business model, unlike traditional IPPs, we are comfortable with bill transfer uh, which really are on the rise. And we are having uh, great early success with the utilities who do want to partner with QCells, given that we can provide those turnkey solutions provider uh, to them. The Inflation Reduction Act uh, has introduced many um, tax credits, which has been very attractive from a developer standpoint. Um, but one of the criticisms leveled at it, too, was that it failed to address um, some of the issues in developing projects, namely um, along the lines of permitting, um, a place where certain states have tried to address it on their own. Um, but against that backdrop, uh, Vaili, if you could maybe give us uh, your overview of um, some of the developments and changes in siting and permitting that you've observed over the years um, and are expecting this sort of to continue. Sure, um, you're absolutely right. The IRA has uh, provided and you know uh, significant tailwinds for our industry. Uh, but those of us who have been doing this for as long as I have, we all know that development is never a straight path. 
Um, we also know that I would qualify it as the four <clears throat> legs of the stool of develop successful development site control, available transmission capacity permit and offtake. And probably with the exception of offtake, the other three are getting more and more challenging uh, for us developers uh, in the current environment post IRA and even prior to IRA, it was difficult. And the, the tailwinds really, I would put them, there's probably more, but uh, four that come to mind. Um, clean energy demand is growing in all parts of the country, uh, which is driven by corporate demand, clean energy mandates, load growth through electrification and obviously fossil uh, plant retirements. There's also a large influx of uh, large institutional ML capital, which is looking to deploy to fund or own development arms. So there's a lot of project uh, and platform acquisitions. Uh, oil majors are moving into our space, retooling themselves. And then obviously a big influx of foreign companies uh, that are coming to the U.S. market. And so <clears throat> juxtaposing all this tailwinds, you know, this does create fierce competition uh, for site control and uh, permits in, uh, in the U.S., I think there are several uh, trends that are worth observing due to this crowding. Um, number one, I would say for um, site control, prices went up and keep going up. Lease rates doubled in many locales. Um, the landowners, rightfully so, are becoming much more sophisticated. So not only do the prices go up, um, certain elements of lease uh, arrangements, such as escalators, are moving away from traditional two and a half percent escalators, annual escalators in the past to, <clears throat> to CPI indexing now. Um, not many people think about it, but <laughs> number two, in some locales, uh, there's fierce competition from people that are hunting for land, even outside of renewable space, um, data centers, AI data centers come to mind. Uh, and when I hear some rates that they're offering to the same landowners that we are trying to contract with, uh, I mean, it's mind boggling. Solar projects cannot sustain that. Um, so there's definitely a need for state and federal lands. Uh, but then of course, uh, transmission still is the choke point for those um, opportunities. And the fourth element, um, agrivoltaics, I think we're, seeing more and more and i think it will continue being on the rise we need to really focus on that <clears throat> closer to your question on um, some of the siting control issues um, a lot of states are starting to kind of think about it uh, california last year passed uh, legislation that allows state to bypass local restrictions in siting large-scale uh, renewables new york is doing the same thing uh, basically allowing state authorities to bypass local laws and permitting uh, large utility scale. So we'll, we'll continue seeing that. Um, um, one, one other thing I, yeah, I would add. Yeah. yeah, one other thing. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we, we have a large portfolio of uh, standalone storage and traditionally people think, oh, it's easier to permit storage, especially um, given the footprint compared to large PV plants. But uh, by definition, we cite storage in urban areas close to load centers, congestion, alleviation reasons, and uh, fire and hazard and safety are big critical components. So we as an industry really need to 
continue monitor monitoring, educating uh, authority having jurisdictions on the safety and uh, really focus on battery storage development in those um, valuable um, areas. Um, just to give a quick follow-up question, um, I was just curious about how sizable the gap was between what data center owners are offering uh, landowners versus what solar PV developers are offering. I remember reading um, at least a year ago uh, some publications and some of the feedback from the landowners in Virginia, PGM, Dominion Territory, um, I, I remember seeing a number about $10,000 per acre versus uh, our solar leases that are 10, 10 times less. Wow. Interesting. Something to definitely focus on because um, that, that trend's not uh, getting slower anytime soon. Um, yeah. So with a, few, with a huge focus on contracting with New York utilities and um, bigger utilities out west like Pacific Corps, um, what have been the dominant trends uh, for you guys in terms of procurement? Given that we are a relatively young development shop uh, with under three years, when we came here, we needed to strategize as to where we're going to do our Greenfield campaign, uh, which has paid off. Uh, one of the things we needed to think is how do we reach higher for that uh, low-hanging fruit that is not available anymore? And so we did identify Pacific Core as one of the areas of interest for us. We were successful in filing over a one gigawatt of interconnection applications in Pacific Core in their first cluster. Uh, we transacted. We transacted. We signed um, a couple of LGIAs already with them. They then opened uh, their second cluster, and I understand 49 gigawatts of projects were filed there. Uh, so I think we are well positioned within Pacific Core. It is it is um, unfortunate that they recently announced that they have suspended their RFP indefinitely. I understand for some corporate reasons, uh, but we do fully expect them to come back to the procurement um, side of business um, shortly, hopefully. New York. Uh, to your question, really has demonstrated uh, leadership through their CLCPA, Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, that which they passed in 2019, uh, which committed them to 70% of zero emission by uh, 2030 and 100% by 2040. They are creating a lot of storage uh, targets, uh, six gigawatts by 2030. Uh, they're also discussing or proposing an index storage credit uh, for contract in the first tranche, um, three gigawatts. We're certainly keeping an eye on that proceeding and are actively engaged. Um, so I, I would say New York ISO is probably one of the more attractive markets post ERCOT and KISO, which is where everybody is for storage deployment. Um, so we're excited about those opportunities. Um, any quick thoughts on the uh, storage incentive mechanism that New York's putting in place? I think it's necessary. Um, <clears throat> they've been really uh, rolling out incentives um, probably for the last five, six years. Uh, in my prior role, uh, we had a couple of projects in uh, New York State as well um, with theater and other incentives. Uh, this one in particular will be interesting. 
uh, it's basically the credit structure there. It is a 15-year duration, uh, bid a strike price and receive a, or pay difference after subtracting reference price there. And basically this credit is intended to create a revenue guarantee of sorts and compensate for the um, declining marginal capacity accreditation. I think it is unique. Um, I don't think anyone has really unpacked it yet, uh, but it is something that uh, we are actively monitoring. So what new markets uh, is QCell's uh, eyeing at this point and why are, why are they attractive to you guys? Um, there are several new markets we are looking at. I'm not sure if I necessarily wanted to disclose the know-how or the rationale as to why, but I would say the, the five pillars for me that we are monitoring, number one is uh, fossil fuel retirements uh, for the energy community con con content and adder. Um, <clears throat> so there's plenty of those going around in the country with the announced retirements. Um, congested loads for storage deployment, uh, obviously with the penetration of renewables, um, the need for battery storage will continue going, everything going up, everything from uh, short duration to long duration, of course. Um, third trend, probably offshore wind connectivity, obviously to bring all those massive gigawatts uh, from offshore, you need um, storage to really balance the system. Um, New markets, there are still new markets, uh, late adopters, I call them in the US. So we are looking out for those. And then one, one of the more interesting things is the Satoa storage uh, transmission only asset, which really uh, in markets like um, MISO and ISO New England, there are rules already for Satoa. We are at the front of that as well where hundreds of millions of dollars could be really saved by customers um, by building battery storage versus um, long, arduous and contentious transmission build. Um, so those are the five trends I would identify as how we're thinking about new markets. Great. Um, so let's uh, talk about supply chain. Um, obviously it's been a very critical hot button issue over the past few years. Um, maybe give a sense and break it down, please, for both uh, solar and storage, uh, how um, they've progressed. And, you know, maybe give us a sense, too, about when you expect it to normalize a little bit more with more uh, domestic uh, content coming online, say, in a year or so. I'd be remiss, obviously, John, to not mention <laughs> the the domestic content that uh, QCells really has been at the forefront uh, by making the announcements, by continuing the investment in the U.S. Uh, manufacturing, uh, everything from Ingo to wafers to cells. Uh, we will be, um, we are in a good position to start monetizing directly through our development as well as through third-party sales of modules uh, starting at the end of 24. Uh, we are very comfortable uh, working with uh, counterparties um, delivering um, those commitment on those commitments. But <clears throat> aside from PV, obviously we still need to figure out the domestic content for uh, battery storage. Um, there, are, there have been announcements and, and I, I hope um, that comes to fruition. In terms of 
negotiating power. A lot of developers that are larger in scale than QCells, they don't necessarily have uh, a large volume of battery storage project pipeline to really support their negotiations uh, for the battery supply agreements. So there are a few strategies that the smaller developers can deploy to mitigate availability and price and risk. Um, they really can engage with the tier one EPC um, that has a portfolio of projects that they're working on. Certainly our EPC group and supply management group, um, they are in the thick of those discussions with other developers. Um, this is how you mitigate risk. Obviously on our end, um, we have negotiated the MSAs with uh, tier one vendors on the battery side to really ensure uh, that everything is available for us. One of the things that I think I haven't talked about is the development timelines have elongated because of the transmission bottlenecks and everything else, but also the early CapEx commitments with the long lead items such as transformers have really uh, put a dent on how developers are thinking about committing to projects, signing PPAs with uh, CODs three, four years out. So you really need to be thinking about risk management as a developer. Uh, where do you place the order to really commit to a certain supply that the transformer is available for you, given that um, uh, it takes such a long time? In some instances, I heard it could be 24, 30 months uh, for delivery of the transformer. Um, so all, a, a lot of variables, I guess, um, in being successful as a developer, delivering projects to your off-taker um, and long-term sponsor. Um, and so, like I said, it's never been a straight path in development. Uh, it is uh, a, a, lit, a, a lot more nuanced uh, these days. Uh one, one other item, John, yes. if I may. <clears throat> yeah, the entire industry is really moving. And when I say the entire industry, it's more of the um, RTOs as well as uh, incumbent utilities. What they are really using and have a strong preference for is the highly de-risk projects. And that's actually not only for them, it's for tax equity as well. Um, the 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 more de-risk the project is, the better chance you have of signing offtake and really monetizing your project. And so I call it the uh, first ready, first served approach, whereas previously first come, uh, first served. Now you really need to demonstrate the uh, preparedness and readiness, commercial readiness to really deploy uh, your capital early. And so not many development shops can do this. Um, we are in a very fortunate position that uh, with the MSAs in place, uh, access to domestic modules starting in 24 um, and the development expertise that we have, I think QSALS is uh, well positioned. Uh, and, he, and he provided the uh, transition to our final question of the program and uh, thanks so much for coming on today. Um, there has been a series of interconnection key reforms introduced um, and unveiled over the past uh, year or so plus um, across all the major um, ISO, RTOs. 
And, um, you know, it's certainly from a, the perspective of a national developer, you know, you've kind of seen, seen all of it unfold. Uh, really wanted to get your sense about which uh, grid operators are doing it better than the other guy at this point in terms of the reforms they've been able to um, unveil. You know, it's seriously a complicated issue. Everybody's talking about uh, FERC order 2023. Yeah. There are co compliance filings, and obviously FERC recently, uh, just what, a couple of months, uh, a couple of weeks ago, extended the compliance deadline from uh, December 5th of this year to now April 4th of next year. We really are watching as RTOs and utilities reacting to the extended timeline and how they're going to be complying with their respective filings. I think the better question is uh, maybe which um, RTOs um, <laughs> will use the independent entity variation to deviate from that FERC order compliance. Um, this variation provides ISOs and RTOs with greater flexibility than other transmission providers quote unquote, consistent with or superior standard. And so basically it's a, it gives the opportunity to the RTOs and the incumbent utilities to come up with their own ways of how they're gonna comply. And again, uh, we are closely monitoring as well as working with SIA uh, and other regional organizations in making sure that the development interests are, are not you know, detrimentally impacted by the changes that the utilities are introducing some utilities we've we started seeing are introducing huge penalties for withdrawal without any uh, cure given. Uh, I've seen in one utility uh, requesting a seven and a half million non-refundable penalty for withdrawing uh, from the queue. I think that's really um, outrageous. It is something that uh, uh, hopefully the utility over time will. Um, appreciate how uh, difficult it is for a developer to really commit to any uh, development resources in, in their service territory to help meet their um, renewable mandates. Great. Well, that's about all the time we have. So uh, vitally appreciate the time that you give, you've given today. And, Thank you, John. Uh, yeah, thank you, John, for having me. And uh, great job with your guys' publication and, and the podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Very much appreciate it. Well, with that, with that being said, and uh, before the Thanksgiving holiday, um, uh, please tune in next time. Uh, work out. Thank you.